happy opening day week for everyone out there. Exciting time for those of us who do baseball podcasts and baseball fans, because obviously opening day is Thursday. We are uh, recording this on Wednesday, uh, so we're, we're excited about that. Welcome to the Man on Second podcast on the rapidly growing Real Voices of the Game Productions Network. I'm Joe Forsaro with our producer, Dave D'Agostino, and today's show is right in Dave D'Agostino's wheelhouse because, Dave, we're going to be talking catching for 45 minutes with our guest, former big league catcher, coach, minor league manager, instructor, uh, Brian Schneider. But but before we bring Brian in, Dave, welcome in. And what announcements we got, buddy? Well, I just want to continue to thank our subscribers. Very loyal, very faithful, very consistent. We have over 14,700 now. We're on show 150 for our network, which is is phenomenal. We, We keep all the great information flowing to you guys. And we can only do so because of your support. So keep downloading, listening, liking, subscribing, what we're doing. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can follow Joe, Man on Second. Um, us, you can follow on Real Voices of the Game as a whole group. I'll get back to everybody um, on Facebook. Over 200 questions this morning, Joe. Wow. I got back to almost everybody. I got up bright and early to start punching away on that keyboard, but I did get our one online this morning. So please engage. I'll get back to everybody. Um, but to our audience, too, uh, we, we love our grassroots, but grassroots all the way up to Major League front offices. We're getting a lot of good feedback from you guys, so keep it flowing this way. Yeah, this is exciting for me, and I don't know, this also makes me feel pretty old because even though I didn't cover Brian as a as a Marlin, I certainly covered so many games with Brian playing against the Marlins, and then when he retired after, I think, in 13, uh, he, he was part of the Marlins coaching staff for several years, so it, it's always fun to catch up with with you know former players, coaches, people I've uh, had associations with through the through the years, Brian um, obviously he's uh, he broke in with the with the Expos, who later became the Washington Nationals, played for the Phillies, the Mets, um, and uh, like I said, he was on the Marlins staff from 16 2016 to 19. Uh, more recently, a Mets instructor the last few years. And uh, welcome, Brian. I hope all is well, my friend. Thanks for having me. It's good to, good to be on here. Yeah, Brian. Let's kind of get people caught up with. Uh, first off, you know, what are you doing now? And uh, and obviously, I know you want to get back into baseball. And uh, we we're saying former now, but hopefully, you know, by next year, you're you're back in in the game. But catch people up with what you're doing these days. Yeah. So right now, uh, I'm at home here in Jupiter, Florida, uh, being a dad. So it's um, I don't know which job's harder, coaching or being a full time dad. I'll tell you. Um, I have four kids, so. Um, constantly going to uh, tournaments every weekend and uh, practices, and pretty much have my own Uber service. So it's a uh, it's a lot of fun. I haven't been there as much for the kids as, as I've wanted to over the years, but um, definitely catching up now. Yeah, that that's always special. And you know, as I'm like retired and doing you know podcast and and still doing big leagues, but also doing grassroots and a lot of high school. Uh, I'm seeing a lot of really talented high school players, and part of what I'm doing is you know trying to get get exposure for them. So, and I know up in Jupiter and Palm Beach County, there's a lot of really good baseball, just like there is in Miami-Dade and Broward counties. We're just a really baseball rich. The kids that grow up down here really have a have a real good advantage. Are you seeing that too, Brian? Absolutely. Yeah, there's some. Uh, uh, we're zoned for Jupiter High School, and they've had a very good program the last couple of years. But I mean, you can just start. Naming high schools off and Stoneman Douglas the last uh, last year I think they're national champions and um, yeah you know this year they're right back up there so 
there's baseball everywhere and there's tournaments every weekend and um, doesn't matter if you're from Sanford or down here to West Palm or even South. It's every weekend. If you definitely want to find a tournament or some kind of travel ball, it's, it's definitely down here. Yeah. Yeah. Let, let's, let's go over to, to big leagues. It's obviously this is uh, we're getting close to opening day, but before we get into that, Brian, I, I got to ask your opinion because here's a guy that I know you coached on the Marlins staff. We saw him. He's like making national news, you know, JT real Muto, his, his incident with the, with umpire Randy Rosenberg the other day, I'm turning to, to news channels and, and news networks that never talk about sports are, are showing the replay of our friend JT real Muto, uh, you know, with the glove side, you know, reaching up for a baseball, Randy Rosenberg uh, doesn't immediately hand it to him, but by the time he does, JT moves the glove down, and then Randy ejects, you know, JT. Uh, you know, just kind of your thoughts to that kind of wild uh, moment there, and and did you have anything similar happen in your catching career? I've had nothing like that happen. I'll <laughs> tell you, um, if you look at the replay, JT is not even looking at the umpire. And, uh, you know, for a while, you, you know, you put your glove back there, you do it, you know, 70, 80 times a game, put it up there for foul balls or new, get a new ball that was in the dirt. And if it's not put in your glove at the right time or within the first couple of seconds, you just put your glove down. Um, and that's exactly what JT did. So I think it was an early toss. I think like everyone can agree on that. And obviously if the umpire had to do it all over again, I, I, I don't think he would do it. So, um, we all make mistakes and hopefully it's a mistake that uh, you just won't make again. Yeah. It's just so, but like you said, we never really see the ejection there. I know JT likes to get it in the glove and he does, like you said, he does it so regularly, it becomes second nature. And even as, you know, from the media standpoint, if I'm in the press box watching that or, or watching him on TV, you see it. Did you, would you put the glove where you, some, uh, some catchers used to bare hand. Uh, what did you do? What was your system of getting the ball <laughs> back to your pitcher? Uh, I was a bare hand guy, and uh, I always ask the umpires uh, for the ball on every foul ball or you know ball in the dirt. Some guys like to throw it back. That's the umpires that like to throw it back, but I always ask to throw it back myself because uh, I kept my arm loose, and I just if I wanted to tell the pitcher something, I always had his attention at that point. So um, I was always asking. I was always a bare hand guy. Is it, you know, it's kind of, you know, the takeaway from this, thankfully it was a spring training game. I mean, it would have been terrible if a regular season and a game could be decided on, you know, an all-star like JT Real Muto being tossed early in a game or whatever, even any point in the game could potentially impact the final score. But I think it's going to raise awareness to something as simple as retrieving the baseball by the catcher from the umpire or just, you know, just that, like you say, you, you like to keep your arm loose. That was kind of your, your system. Uh, to just kind of keep the catcher involved and, and, you know, just awareness, something else catching instructors uh, can talk to catchers about, I guess. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. I don't (laughs) think that'll happen again. JT is not the kind of guy uh, and I don't know what happened or led up to it. I don't know if they were John beforehand. Um, He just took it personal when JT put his glove down. But again, you look at the replay. Yeah, his eyes were straight ahead. You know, you could see. Yeah, you know, he's looking he at puts the picture. His, he yeah. puts his glove down, and even when the guy, the umpire threw the ball down, like JT reacted to the ball falling, and yeah. like was even going to pick it up until he realized he was just tossed. So um, <laughs> it was it was unfortunate. And uh, like I said, I think the umpire could, could do it all over again. I think he would. He would not throw him out. And uh, you know, JT doesn't matter if it's uh, a rookie or if it's a, a vet like JT. Uh, I mean guys aren't out there to try to really show up the umpires it's 
something always has to happen beforehand or go back and forth. But JT's not that kind of guy, and it's it stinks because when you see the fans out there paying money to see JT catch for something like that, you just don't want to see that happen. No, no doubt, no doubt. Brian, are you excited about opening day? Obviously, your role's a little different this year, but opening day is always very special for baseball. And and then just kind of your thoughts: what are you going to be doing tomorrow on on opening day? And and you know some of your uh, your best opening day memories. Uh, yeah, I'm excited for it. Um, you know, I, it's always one of those things with, I mean, I have two boys, they're 13 and 12. So it's just one of those things that, you know, they're excited. I know they both did like some fantasy stuff and they're all talking and trying to get my opinions and, um, you know, all-star games, we try to watch stuff together. Opening day is kind of like that. I know my one son has a, has a game tomorrow night. So when we get back from that game, we'll tune, tune in, but, um, it's always a special day. It's kind of caught caught up on me a little bit too quick uh this year because i you know not in spring training but um obviously uh like i saw you the other day you know we're around spring training so it's a it's an exciting time of the year yeah especially coming off that wbc that was amazing wbc and uh i think that's a perfect segue leading right into the season yeah we're going to talk wbc because you were on one of the original uh USA team. So we're going to get to that in a little bit, but yeah, just off the top of your head, there's any, any moments you have any you know, like game winning hits or, or big moments in it, like in an opening day that kind of stands out when you think back in your 13 year career. When I think about opening days, there's no doubt the only one for me that stands out that I could even talk about that is your first one. I mean, there's nothing that can compare okay. your first opening day. Um, you know, you get called up during the middle of the season, um, and you know, obviously, it's amazing in its own in its own worth. But um, opening day, when you make that that roster out of spring, and you're traveling with the team, and you got all the pregame festivities and everything that leads up to that first game. Uh, opening day, your first time is always always the best one. Let's bring Dave in. Dave, I know he's probably been chomping. Uh, what you got for Brian, David? Oh no, I don't. Want, I don't want to jump through to the USA <laughs> stuff. So I'm interested in hearing that too. But Brian, you had a uh, you had a foundation called Catching for Kids. Are you still running that foundation? And if, if, what was it about, or what is it about? Yes, uh, I am still running it. Um, I've been donating to um, teams around here, uh, like some of the travel teams or to some of the high schools. Um, and it's it's basically just it doesn't matter what sport. It could be baseball. It could be basketball, soccer. It's just everyone should have a chance to play sports no matter if they're um, disabled or um, if they're healthy. And um, over the years back where I grew up uh, in Northampton, Pennsylvania, um, I donated majority of my money to um, Miracle League, which is an amazing program to, to have kids be able to help out other kids and to, you know, just to see how fortunate, how fortunate you are. So Miracle League is very important, very important to me. And, uh, there's America League down here in Palm Beach Gardens now, uh, so you know we support that, and um, it's just uh, you know it's it's unfortunate to be able to to be able to do that, and I, I try to help out as much as I can. Is it is it regional now or is it national? And how do, how would somebody uh, reach out to you to donate to the foundation or to contribute? Um, it's actually um, just pretty much local right now. What I'm doing, I haven't been able to to reach out. Um, and go too far into abroad, um, trying to be smart with the money and not just, you know, be wasteful and use it for all the right things. Um, so it would have to be, you know, I would just send to my, to an email. Um, and I can provide that email later on if you want. It's, but it, it would, anything would be appreciated and, uh, it all goes to a good cause. Yeah. I think if you, we can do that at the end of the show, give the email out and our audience would be, 
almost 15,000 subscribers. So shoot, everybody gives a dollar. That's a, that's a, a lot of kids that can get helped out through that. That would be amazing. Yeah. That would be and amazing. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, no worries. And I've got to ask you a selfish question. I always do at least one per show. To <laughs> that. I'm a former college basketball coach, 20 plus years. Um, where does the nickname come from? Hoops. <laughs> that's funny. Um, so when I was younger, I, yeah, I was younger and it's funny, you go back home and everyone calls me that and there was teachers and coaches and when they, they would put it in like the newspaper and, um, when the, the movie Hooper from uh, Burt Reynolds, uh, stuntman. And when I was younger, I would just jump off stuff or climb up stuff. And my dad just called me Hooper from being his little own stunt, stuntman. So, um, it gets shortened up to hoops and it, it stuck with me. I know I played baseball, basketball, and um, and it got shortened up, but it wasn't because I was uh, averaging thirty a game in high school. <laughs> that could get you marked right there with a nickname like Hoops. Um, <laughs> it does. It does. I, I got. I got one more off the wall. I'm going to save it till later in the show, Joe. I've got. Uh, okay. I'm going to get to catching because you know how I got my. my yeah. Son oh no, no. I, I just wanted to kind of get in and do a little bit of instructing and, and the catching, but we can, we could get that later. Brian, growing up, were you, um, why left-handed hitting? You know, was it just natural? Was it, you know, someone saw, Hey, hit lefty and you have a lot better chance. Uh, what was, you know, the origins of that? Um, it was straight natural. I wish I could tell you I used to hit right-handed and I just, I could do both, but I, it wasn't that way. It was just strictly left-handed and, uh, uh, everything right-handed, you know, throwing wise, but anything swinging, if it's, um, you know, hockey or, um, unfortunately not golf. My dad had right-handed clubs growing up, so I learned how to play golf right-handed, but, um, I do putt left-handed. So I'm very, I'm very confused young man, I guess. <laughs> Your caddy's got to be real. <laughs> uh, how much of an advantage do you think that was for you as a player too? Cause obviously teams that, if they, you know, obviously everyone takes two, keeps two catchers, but to have one left-handed hitter and you're a productive hitter as well. You know what? I, it's it's funny because I was a majority um, shortstop, third base. I pitched. Um, I, I caught every now and then, but I was majority of those other three positions. And um, as I got up to about a sophomore in high school and junior, and some of the scouts were coming around, and a lot of them started really talking about. Um, left-handed hitting catchers. So uh, that really caught my, myself and my dad and my uncle Mike, who was, was my high school baseball coach. He pushed it on me too. Um, was That could be a big advantage for me um, as I get older. And, uh, you know, once we did the research and we started talking to more scouts and, and coaches, uh, I, I stuck with the catching because I thought it would give me the, the best path moving forward to, to be successful. Wow, that, that's interesting. And I, obviously, like Real Muto was a, a high school shortstop. And you know the story there where Stan Meek went there and to watch him to, to play. And in that game, he was actually going to see, like, Michael Fuller was playing against. It was funny because JT was on his team, and the team they played against, Brian Anderson, our old friend with the Marlins <laughs> now with the Brewers, was the shortstop for the other team. And Michael Fulmer who's still, I think, with the Tigers or, you know, he was like the rookie of the year once, uh, he was pitching. And and Stan tells the story. He went there, and Real Muto was always playing short. But the, the coach tells Stan before the game, hey, my my uh, my catchers uh, are hurt or the pitcher was, was asked, so my catcher's got to pitch, and I need a catcher, and JT's got to play catcher. So it was the only – may have been like the only game in high school Real Muto caught. 
and and Stan saw some natural footwork. Like it was a little sloppy, but he saw the quickness, and then he he saw him like you know his pop time was there, even even pretty raw. You know, making a throw to second, and and then it's legendary. They take him and immediately convert him, and now he's arguably the best catcher in the game. Yeah, I feel like if Stan went to that game and he told him uh, they need a pitcher. JT would have got drafted as a pitcher or if it was an outfielder. He's just an unbelievable athlete. And um, that was one of the things when I first got to the Marlins and um, they wanted me working with him and create a good routine and um, just get him going. It was to see what the athletic ability that was oozing out of him was um, – it made my job a lot easier, I'll tell you that. And I think I remember talking to you during that time. I was like, hey, this guy's going to be an all-star. He's an unbelievable athlete, and I couldn't ask for a better better kid to uh, to work with. So. Um, yeah, it's funny how that works, though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, hey, look, obviously want to is, is big in a player, too, especially a young prospect. But I just remember seeing JT on those. And even uh, – were you there when Sopolamaki was there? I can't remember the which which years when JT kind of no. replaced him. Maybe it was 14 or 15. But it was like spring training, and, and they got Sopolamaki, and obviously he had just had the big World Series with Boston, and, and he had like 40 doubles or something, and – but you could just see on those backfields just the drills in spring training. You could like if you didn't know the name on the back, you would think Real Mito was the starter. And and I think like two months into the season or whatever, it it, it happened. Uh, but uh, yeah, just uh, a special athlete, and always fun to see these players just kind of come into their own. Uh, before we get more into the season, I want to get your thoughts on the WBC. It was obviously a huge hit. And and just your experiences back, I think you and Veritech were the Team USA catchers back in, I think it was six, was it? Yeah, it was 06. It was myself, uh, Michael Barrett, and Jason Veritech. Okay. Yeah, what what was that experience like? And, and being on that year, I guess that was year one of the WBC, just to see the energy and what it really, how it took off this year. Uh, you know, it's kind of your thoughts on that, on, on the tournament then and, and now. Yeah, we were uh, obviously very excited and you know, honored to be able to be on that first team. Uh, great players around me, great coaching staff. And, um, you know, we didn't really know what to expect out of it. And uh, it was seeing the other countries, uh, the atmosphere, how their fans cheer and react. And having the USA across, your, you know, your chest is one of the highlights of my career. So um, it was a great experience. We fell, uh, fell short, but um, to see what it's grown into today is um, amazing with the TV ratings and the apparel and all the fans attendance. It's, uh, it's off the charts and I'm, I'm very happy to see it going the way it is. And, um, you know, I've talked to other people about it, guys who were thinking about playing and I told them how great I thought it was that if you ever got a chance, absolutely do it 100%. And I think you see the guys reactions and, to see what it means to them to have that USA across their chest. And, uh, you know, obviously you see guys like Trout saying he wants to be in the next one. And I think you're going to see, continue to see guys lining up and lining up. How much, how much does it prepare? Obviously there's a ramp up process to spring training. How did you used to approach spring training and what did you kind of need? And then obviously in, in 06, when you had to ramp up a little faster to play highly competitive games and go deeper into games, uh, especially a catcher, because you have to build those legs up, uh, you know, a little bit differently than some position players. How, how did you you see that, and you see it as a benefit to to players? That's probably the hardest part, like you said, was the ramping up. But you know, if you do your homework and you 
you just move the time period up. You know, if you know you got to be ready, you know, three more weeks earlier, then you just start your workout and whatever you usually start throwing, you just start that three weeks earlier. So um, we were all in, I guess, good shape, ready to go. It's just the lack of at bats. I think you get prior to the World Baseball Classic um, in spring training. I think that's the only thing that that hurts you because uh, you know when you're going good, you got a lot of at bats underneath you already. But you know we were going into the World Baseball Classic with you know ten, fifteen, only twenty at bats uh, in spring training. You know facing live hitters or live pitchers. So that's the only thing that that was that was hard. And then um, you know we rotated each each one of us had our own had a pitcher that we were that we were catching. So we rotated you know, every game. And uh, so again, it's lack of, lack of at-bats throughout the World Baseball Classic to lead up into the start of spring training, uh, the start of the season. Um, so that's the only thing that, that was tough. Yeah. Oh, that that's interesting. Like you say, the, the relationship, because obviously that's huge, you know, the relationship with a pitcher, especially when you're seeing a pitcher from another camp that maybe you face as a hitter, but never caught, you know, to, to get that kind of, uh, you know, chemistry, if that's the right word. Yeah, it was, uh, and we caught all of our, so I had Jake Peavy, Michael Barrett had Roger Clemens, and Veritech had Dontrell. And oh boy, that's the fun one. We, <laughs> and we, uh, you know, we caught all their bullpens. We, you know, did their sides. We, you know, we, we, we did everything with them and tried to get that camaraderie and, and get the you know, rhythm down with each other and see what they like to do and um, sign systems, all that good stuff. So, you know, whenever they started every three, three games uh, we were always catching and then and then it was you know try to catch as many relievers as you can because those are the guys that usually had the nastiest stuff and uh, you just didn't have a chance to catch all of them yeah yeah talk about just in general like uh get people a feel for that that's a that's a really excellent point you know obviously catching you know a pv or or you know with another team obviously an all-star in this day but you know just when you were catching and even as an instructor, how you, you kind of try to match your catchers with, with your pitchers, how did that relationship kind of go? Well, as a, as a, you know, catching coach, you know, you work closely obviously with the pitching coaches, but uh, the goal is to map out every day who they're catching. And the next day they always want to catch someone different. And after about two or three rounds of catching these guys, um, you just let these guys say, "Hey, continue to catch someone that you haven't caught yet." Try to get used to them, their movements, what they like to throw, um, how fast they like to work, all that good stuff. And and if you need to catch someone else a uh, second time, go for it. But you know, always try to you know get those those uh, those closers uh, with the starters because you know you don't need him catching you know a. a a 40 man guy that's going to start in double A or triple A. You don't need those closers. We need the the starters because a lot of times when those relievers come in, the starter of catcher is already out of that spring training game. So um, that's why you see a lot of closers and the, the dominant guys that are going to be used a lot of the bullpen coming in right after the starter, because you want those guys matching up with your starting catcher so that, you know, they all get used to each other. Yeah. And that's funny because that's kind of, standard for decades right that's not just you know they don't do it now like that's an excellent point because yeah you would you would think that let's say especially early in camp where you know the starter may go go two innings and then you know another guy goes two innings and then your closers in the game and your catchers out of the game after the fifth that's a, that's an excellent point yeah that's what you try to do and again sometimes it doesn't work out that way but um regardless you always have everything mapped out 
on your bullpens, you know, days and days ahead of time so that you're constantly changing and making sure each guy's uh, catching a different pitcher. Yeah. Um, Brian, what do you, how do you think these, these new rules are going to apply? I'm talking pitch timer specifically, you know, on this, on this podcast, we've, we've talked a lot um, of pitching in the past, you know, Mark Wiley has a show with us and he being a former pitcher and, you know, pitching coach, you know, he talks a lot about that, but this is unique because I have a catcher with us. So how do you think the new rules, the communication, you know, dealing with that, that pitch timer, how do you think that dynamic's going to work? And, and as a catcher, what would you be instructing your catchers to do? Uh, well, you got to be down, uh, be ready to give signs, you know, right away. Um, and we've always voiced that and tried to get the pitchers to do that because we like when pitchers work fast, you know, it keeps your defense in line and um, it keeps everyone going. So um, I think it's going to affect a lot of pitchers, but I don't think it's going to affect as many as you think. Um, I tell you what, it's either you're going to get on board or you're going to get you get hurt. You know, it's either for a hitter or a, you know or a pitcher. And everyone wants to talk about the pitchers. How's it going to affect the pitchers? It's going to affect the hitters just just as much. Um, they got to get in that box early and be ready to go. And some guys like to you know adjust the batting gloves, call timeout, and you know, you just can't do that like you used to. So um, I really think it's uh, I think it's going to be good for the game. I, I think spring training showed that. Uh, 25 minutes I saw or something like that. And, the, you know, I've heard fans, they're all talking about it. So it's, um, it's a big deal. Um, but uh, just like anything else, you saw it in the minor leagues the last couple of years, guys got used to it. And when I went and visited the minor leagues, some of the games, I mean, it ran, it ran pretty smooth. So uh, um, I think it's just going to take a little time to get used to, but I think it'll be just fine. Dave, what you got? Well, you kind of got to it when you were talking about giving the signs and it, it clicked in my brain. Um, you know, it's not too long ago that you were catching, but nowadays behind the plate and on the mound, it, it seems like the game's not being called with the battery anymore. It's being called from somewhere else. Earpieces are being used. Wristbands are being used. Um, how did you used to call a game? Was that between you and the pitcher? Uh, obviously some, some pregame preparation. And when did that change over time? And, and which do you prefer? Um, it was always myself, you know, calling. I mean, you might get – a pitching coach to get your attention once a game, if that, um, and try to, you know, and again, it was a suggestion. It wasn't a mandatory pitch um, to the pitcher. It was still the pitcher's game and still the catchers out there given. And that all comes with studying. That all comes with, you know, knowing the reports and going to the computers and, and doing all that. Um, I think the wristbands, you know, obviously uh, that's gone. I don't know how many years ago. I never used a wristband. I don't think many did back then. And, you know, it's just a quick glance. Um, if guys are, you know, forgetting something or they want a, a go-to pitch in a certain count, they can flip that band and they know, you know where swing and miss is at the top of the zone or, you know, what breaking ball he's more susceptible to. So there's a lot of ways to attack it. Those, those wristbands don't really tell you as much as you think as far as, like, what pitch to throw in what situation. It's, it's how you want to attack and you have a question. It's a quick glance and a reminder to the catcher. So um it's still the catcher putting those signs down so it's not those signs aren't coming from the dugout you know it's still uh all the homework that's got to be done between the pitcher and the catcher um before the series and and game to game we, we have a lot of young kids that listen to the show we mentioned before over 70 countries now we're in the grassroots uh give them a message now when you're behind the plate and you're making decisions as to which pitch is going to be called um what are some things that you're looking at regarding your pitcher um, and then maybe what are you looking at with the hitter in terms of maybe location or 
uh, next pits being thrown. I don't know if we have enough time on this podcast to go do that. <laughs> Love it. We'll, we'll give you the time. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It's uh, There's a lot that goes into each situation. And the first thing you want to do is you're always attacking your, your pitcher's strengths to the hitter's weaknesses. And um, sometimes a strength and a strength matches up and you go with it and may the best person win. Um, that's just the generic version. The next version is you got to know what inning you're in, what the score is, uh, what guys are on base, if there's a base open, and then that goes into every every everything you call goes into the that goes through your mind all the time. You know, if it's early in the game, you can be aggressive. Um, you want these guys establishing a fastball early, but later in the game, um, you know, once that starter's out, you're not establishing anything on a reliever. A reliever comes in, and you're getting right there, and you want that punch out as quick as possible to save pitches and to go right at it. So, um, you know, there's so many different theories. There's so many different ways to go about it. But you always got to know the, the score. You got to know who in a team you don't want to let beat you. And uh, if that situation comes up, you know, you pitch around them, you can walk them. Or, um, but uh, you got to always know when that base is open and, and there's guys in scoring position. Yeah. No, and, and you had a great reputation for throwing runners out too. The, the fact that you were a starting catcher on the USA baseball team in 06 is not by accident. The period leading up to that, you were the, and I don't know if you knew this, you had the best percentage for throwing base runners out uh, from behind the dish during that time period for catchers across Major League Baseball, 43 and a half. Um, and it leads me to my question. A lot of the one knee stuff going on right now um, in all the way from Major Leagues to grassroots baseball. What are your thoughts on the one knee catching? Um, so that has changed. And that was probably the, not the hardest, but the most I had to like deal with as, as a catching instructor was um, a lot of these young kids see everybody on TV doing it and, you know, they're taught really young now to be on one knee. So, um, I think the biggest thing you can take out of it is there's not one way to catch. Um, yeah. you know, you got, you know, flowers did it really early because he was such a big guy. I know JT went to it because he, you know, he had a little bit of an injury one day. So he started to go down to it and, um, you know, it's, everyone's different. So I'm not biased to either, either way. I caught, I never went to a knee. I never wanted to go to a knee. Um, I tried to be as wide as I could with both knees and give a pitcher a good target. So that's what I know. And that's, that's, I don't mind teaching that, but um, just like anything else, the evolution of baseball, I had to learn everything about the one knee, how to block, what knee has to be down when there's a guy and um, that's potentially going to run because you got to be able to come up and explode out of there off one knee. And uh, so there's a lot of different things that go into it, but um you know, I don't know. I, I know the, the umpire system has, you know, the balls and strikes has become into more of a play. And, um, you know, what happens from a rubble lump from here? I don't know what happens. But um, for right now, everyone feels like they have to have the glove down on one knee and, and come up through the ball. And there's nothing wrong with that system. I just never did that when I caught. Yeah. What's the benefits of, I know you when you mentioned how you caught, got nice and wide, Priority was giving the pitcher a target. My son's a catcher. He's he work. He's thirteen switch hitter, and he's part of the USA Baseball program. And he has uh, been given options, and he, he elects to do it your way. Stay wide, give the target. Doesn't work from the ground up with the gloves, uh, and he, he does a really good job blocking the ball. Um, as far as the glove coming up, what are the pros and cons of that? Well, sometimes when the glove is, is down. And it comes up sometimes, guys, there's a lot more, I say, pass balls because there's a lot more movement with the glove. Um, a lot of umpires um, still talking to this day do not like when catchers do 
the one knee coming up through the ball. Um, they like more of a quieter glove where they can see balls better and um, they feel more comfortable calling balls and strikes. So, um, and I don't know if that's a disadvantage or advantage of being a knee because I don't know if you want the umpire being real comfortable back there. But, um, you know, I always, to this day, it doesn't matter if you're on one knee or not. You know, my thing is you never have to go down to catch a strike. So no matter if you're on one knee or, or you know, both feet, um, you know, you get that low target and work up from there. If you work down, no big deal. But um, And it's hard. Like I said, I never caught off one knee. A lot of guys have very successful blocking, still very successful throwing. Um, I've always felt way more comfortable with moving laterally side to side, blocking balls and coming up out of the, out of the crash to throw, throw a guy out. But um, it just shows you that, you know, there's not one way to catch. And um, some guys can do it and some guys can't off one knee. Yeah. What was your secret to throwing such a high percentage of runners out during that time period? Almost 43 and a half. So I don't know if there was a secret. Uh, it's very simple philosophy was um, get both feet down as quick as possible. Um, you can't throw until that um, that left foot is down. So I was always teach my guys uh, really quick feet, get that, that left foot down. And when that left foot gets down, the arm's ready to go. The longer that left foot is up in the air, uh, or the footwork is longer, the arm can't go forward. So I uh, just always try to be real quick with my feet and, um, you know, never tried to be precise on throwing that ball right there on the bag. You know, I always try to go waist high for my for my second baseman shortstops because when you're releasing that ball, I wish everyone could see the view that we have when that's all going down because when you're throwing that ball, there's no one even at second base. So, you know, the guys are coming from second or short, moving with a runner and a lot of stuff's going on. And, you know, the, if it's down there on the ground, it's a lot harder for them to pick it. There's a lot of stuff going on. So I tried to be, you know, waist high, give them something that they can handle and, and, um, and make a tag. But I'd be, uh, I'd be foolish if I never gave pit, you know, credit to my uh, pitching staff and my, uh, my pitching coach for you're as good as your pitching staff. And if your guy's yeah. slow to the plate, it doesn't matter how good you are, how hard you throw, how fast you are. Um, you're not going to throw guys out. So um, it's a, it's a partnership and um, you know, to all the catchers out there, obviously if you throw guys out, the first guy you should be pointing to is your pitcher because those guys have to give you a chance to throw guys out. So, um, you know, I had a really good pitching staff and we preached a lot. We preached being quick to the plate. Um, and um, I was successful, you know, throwing guys out because of them. No, that's some, some really, really good insight and, and stuff there for anyone our players out there and, and our fans who just to kind of get a better view, the, the view that, that Brian and catchers have behind the plate. Brian, how much in, in spring training do you work on what you just talked about? How much of a day? And obviously when games start, it changes routines, but to get the feet right, that left foot down and, and everything going, not just, you know, on your throw downs and so forth. You know, it's kind of like uh, same thing with the pitchers and, you know, for the position players is hitting. Like when you're hitting, you know, the first couple of days, you you feel okay, but you, you, you your swing's not complete. It's not, you know, everything's intact. Your lower body's not always working with your hand. A lot of stuff's going on, and it just kind of clicks, you know, whatever, whether it's the first week or the second week, and, you know, when you're swinging. And same thing with, with, with catching. You know, your arm feels good, but your legs might be heavy because you're, you know, catching a lot of bullpens, and you just got to get your legs underneath you. Um, or your legs feel great, and your arms – sore because you've been throwing more than you have been the last four months. Um, it's just one of those things where it might, might take two weeks 
Um, and then all of a sudden your legs and your arm are working together and then it just flows and then you don't, it, it's just the feeling that you get. Um, we tried to have these guys throw to the bases every three days or so in spring. Uh, the first time, first couple of times it might be like in front of the bases, um, just because we're trying to get, get the guy's arm, um, in shape, make sure we don't need any injuries and also trying to match up the feet, you know, at the same time. So, um, you don't want to throw too much because once games start, you know, these guys are really letting it, letting it, letting it fly. But at the same time, it's a, it's a, you really talk to these catchers and you see how they're feeling. And, um, at this time of their career, this age, they, they realize that they can't get hurt or they're not supposed to get hurt. So, um, when you ask them how you feel, you know, most guys are pretty honest with you. So if anyone has any kind of feeling in their arm or legs, you know, we back, back off, but, um, there's not one simple answer for you. Like it's just one of those things that just clicked. Oh, that, that's some interesting stuff. Cause there are for any fans. And I know a good number of fans go to spring training and watch the practices on those backfields, whether it's in Jupiter with the Marlins or Cardinals or up in Port St. Lucie with the Mets and so on. You, you see all this stuff going on on those backfields and, and, our fans, especially the, the parents of kids and kids that are baseball players, pay attention to stuff because you can pick up a lot of little tricks by watching some of the simple stuff that, that Brian's talking about. Um, and Brian, how much do you think, where do you think the future of framing is going, especially if the, you know, the, the robo up comer comes in? Well, if the robo, if the robo up comes in, I think it takes, um, it takes a lot, a lot away from a, a catcher, you know, <laughs> you see us down there it's we're on that machine early work extra work uh a lot every day um having these guys work on framing if it's the high pitch if it's the off speed whatever it is that they're working hard but if the robo ump comes in i mean you're basically just receiving the ball um i don't think it's going to become a position where you can just throw anybody back there because uh, body um the knees uh getting foul balls off you but i think the most important is understanding your pitcher and your hitters and how you're going to attack them you still got to be smart back there and, and know how to do a game plan and block balls and throw guys out so a lot of people say oh the robo comes we can just throw this guy in there um i don't think that's necessarily true it's still going to be a catcher that goes back there but um it's going to be someone obviously that has a little more bat that doesn't have to really worry about you know the framing aspect yeah yeah, and we're getting close to winding this down. I did want to touch on this uh, this moment because because Brian was part of Major League history. He happened to be behind the plate when Mike mm-hmm. Bassett gave up home run number seven fifty six to Barry Bonds in two thousand seven. Uh, Brian, what do you what was that experience like when you know you knew what Barry was chasing? You were trying to get him out, and you knew also that what happened on that day in in, in August of '07 could happen. But um, I'm a huge baseball fan in general. I grew up with it around my family and my dad. And so like, I know all about history. And um, obviously, I wanted to be a part of history um, and see it happen, but get the win at the same time. So it was a good night. We won that game and we got to see had to see him break the record. But, um, you know, it's it's he was amazing, amazing hitter back then. And uh, I mean, balls one inch, two inches off. He just wouldn't swing. And uh, he's just one of those guys where I said, I, you see someone swing as hard as he did, but his swing never broke down. So it was, uh, it was fun to be a part of, to be honest with you. And, um, and uh, you know, I, I get that question a lot. And um, 
I know. I don't know. I had the best view in the house. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> what did you call, like what did the umpires give you? That's where the umpires are giving you those verified balls, right? Those, those balls, because, you know, you got to figure out which one to, 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 to verify that was the pitch <laughs> and, you know, what, take us through that and what would you call and, and then your reaction when you saw, you know, the swing and where in the reaction from the fans. Yeah, it was, you know, every foul ball, every, everything, every ball in the dirt, you know, you couldn't, you know, just throw it. You had to give it to the umpire so they could all be, um, you know, certified and, and logged. But, um, so that was a little bit of a pain, but, uh, you know, we had an at bat earlier in the game when it was a three, two pitch, I believe. And we went with a breaking ball and, you know, Barry's one of those guys where you, you just can't fall in a pattern with anything. Um, and we went to a three, two pitch. And we tried to go fastball away and, you know, Basic didn't get it out there. He left it down the middle and um, you can't do that with Barry. He's going to make you pay every time. And when he hit the bat, you know, when he hit the ball, I mean, it, it was a no brainer, really. He crushed it. And uh, that, that sound off the bat, uh, we knew that ball wasn't coming back. Yeah. And then you and, and Barry are on the same coaching staff several years later. <laughs> I know we talked, we talked about it often. It was funny, but we talked about it. Yeah, it's funny, you know, Barry was very unique when he was the Marlins hitting coach, because whenever I talked to him about hitting, we'd end up talking about bike riding, you know, because he was, and back then I was doing a lot of bike riding, as you know, Barry did probably too much bike riding, I think that's why I was late a lot, uh, but, you know, he, we would just talk, he'd talk to me all day about bike riding, but he wouldn't get really in deep when I would want to talk baseball with him, but he was really fascinating, and, 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 uh, and that's funny that he said he brought that up with you from time to time as well. But uh, you know, he is, is definitely a uh, interesting, uh, you know, player. Great, obviously, great, great player. And and um, it was interesting to have him in Miami that one year. Um, Dave, what do you got? Because we're getting close to getting out of here. Yeah, I can't let Brian off without asking him this question. The uh, <laughs> you got to tell me about job swap. What prompted you to do job swap, and what is hurling? that you agreed to do over oh, Ireland. Oh, man. Oh, man. Okay. So I won't be long on this, but... Um, <laughs> you take I as much time as you want, because I have no <laughs> clue what this is. So I graduated in... I mean, I, I retired in 2012, and um, in 13, I believe it was when it was, 13 or 14, I forget what year it was. Um, and I got a call from my agent, and basically they were looking for a player uh, to go over to Ireland to learn the game of hurling. And the hurler was going to come over and try to play baseball. And they've done, they, they do this over in Ireland, um, this, a bunch. And, you know, it might be swapping hurling with, um, you know, Gaelic football over there or whatever it may be in different sports. And I didn't know anything about hurling. And I was, that's just me. That's my personality. I said, of course. Yeah, I'd love to do that. Until I started like Googling it and watching the game. I was like, oh my God. It's like a, it's an unbelievable sport, but it's, um, it's a rough sport. It's very physical. And, um, I got to go, I, I was, I was a goalie. I flew over there and I literally hadn't picked up a hurling stick and they started me off slow. I had different people working with me, I had, you know, goalies work with me, everybody. And I start. I played out against an exhibition game against a high school team and they crushed me. And then, um, eventually I played the game and we actually won the game. I made a bunch of saves, but um, it's an unbelievable experience. And uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I mean, the guy came over to the backfields and the, with the Marlins and 
you know, uh, he struggled very, you know, a lot hitting um, and catching with a glove. They don't catch with a glove over there. Everything's done barehand. And um, he ended up playing outfield barehanded and caught every ball. I mean, balls in the gap, balls to him. He was catching fly balls with the baseball bare hand and wasn't even flinching. He was all about it. And I'm telling you, this sport at halftime, I came into the clubhouse and there's guys' hands are bleeding and their knees are bleeding. And I'm looking around going, what am I doing here right now? But it ended up being an unbelievable experience. And I think you can still find it and you can watch the whole documentary and uh, on, online. And uh, God, it was an unbelievable experience and met a lot of really, really awesome people over there in Ireland. How long were you there? And what, like when you're in the, you were the goalie, what did you use to, I say, protect yourself? It sounds like it's, you could get hurt there, but was it like lacrosse? What, what's the apparatus you used to keep it out of that? So, I mean, honestly, it was sleet, freezing rain, a little bit of snow, freezing cold. And you had the shortest shorts that you could imagine. You have a jersey on and a helmet and that's it. There's no padding. There's, that's it. And these guys... I'm telling you, they it's a uh, they they hit hard, and um, but there's there's no protection. You have a, your your hurling stick, and uh, and that's all you have. And they're hitting it at you. Oh, they're hitting hard. Yeah, they're hitting it really hard, and, and you're just deflecting it. You know, again, I don't have a glove on, so anything hit, like I'm supposed to catch it bare hand, and um, it's it's a awesome sport. It's so fast and it's physical as could be, and um, if you ever get bored, just uh, you know, Google hurling and you're, you'll, you'll, you'll fall in love with that sport. I prefer to Google it than play it back based on how you're describing it right now. I'm sorry. Uh, it is not easy. It is not an easy sport. But we have a strong contingency in Ireland. Actually, I listened to the show. So I'm, they'll be pumped up. That was uh, oh. something I got requested from, from one of the baseball guys or you got to ask them about hurling. So I said, I, oh. I'll do that. I'm no, telling Brian, you, there's I, not I, a time. Oh, go ahead. I was just saying there's not a time no. goes by that I don't think about Ireland and the people over there and that sport. And I, I can't wait to go back. Possibly, you know, if they, as they get moving with the different countries, world baseball classic, that'd be great to bring you over there with all your experience to do with some of these other former major leaguers and coaches are doing, helping build the rest of the world up in baseball. You wouldn't have to ask me twice. <laughs> We're throwing your like ring right now. That. Like, uh, <laughs> like you said in Jupiter, I'm, I'm vaguely remembering this. Like, um, yeah. Wow. He came in the backfields and, uh, um, you know, obviously I had to get permission, but he went out there just during batting practice and yeah. was, was out there shagging. And at one point he literally th- threw his glove down like behind him and he just started shagging and catching every That's ball. Awesome. Out That's so awesome. And then he, he had his hurling stick there and, and the hurling ball, which is a, it's a hard, it's almost like a baseball, but it's hard. And, and he was whacking balls at guys and the guys couldn't believe how accurate he was and, and, uh, and how hard he was hitting. Yeah. Crazy stuff. But what can't Brian Schneider do as we're kind of wrapping this up? Brian, just uh, before we let you go, uh, advice for young kids that want to get into catching. What do they, what are some of your, your little pointers you give a catching aspiring catchers? Um, first off, I, I, I tell kids to try every position. Um, catching is an unbelievable position and I hope everyone gets a chance to catch, but um just because you catch a little bit, don't don't think you can't play other positions. So I always tell tell kids to, um, you know, play a position. But as a catcher, always work with your pitchers and um, just, you know, there's a lot of things to go. But I'd say work with your pitchers and, um, you know, back there you learn learn the game because you're involved in every pitch, every play, 
And, um, you know, if it's first and third or if it's a bunt situation or if it's late in the game, you know, you have to know not only the hitter, the pitcher, the game, there's so much to learn. So it's a great position. If you get a chance to do it, I highly, highly recommend it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think our, our audience is, is just her, why, you know, Brian Schneider's had a long career in baseball and why he belongs in baseball and his voice. I know he'll be back in the game before we know it. Brian, once again, on your foundation, how can people, uh, you know, con- contribute? Um, I think the best thing would be to um, send an email to um, Brian, Brian, B-R-I-A-N, and then 233923 um, at AOL.com. That's what I've been using lately. It's the two numbers I use in the big leagues are 23 and 39. So it's just Brian, two, three, three, nine, two, three at AOL. Um, anything would be appreciative and it'll definitely get, you know, put there into the catching for kids and I'll send receipt out and everything. So um, again, thank you for talking about that. The foundation means a lot to me. No, that's great. And it's our pleasure. Um, and, and once again, uh, you know, we're going to bring Dave in one more time, but again, Brian Schneider, you know, again, amazing career, a, a terrific coach and, and and a great guy and a great baseball guy. And uh, Dave, final thoughts. Yeah. Again, just want to thank you, Brian, for coming on. Uh, I, I can't imagine you'll make it throughout the week without a front office calling. You belong in the game. Uh, great <laughs> insight. Um, my, my son's sitting here listening to it. He's a, he's mentioned a catcher. He's got his notepad out taking notes. So um, he's trying to look up the, the hurling game as well. We're going to toughen him up a little bit, but um, awesome. I want to thank our subscribers, 14,700, uh, you know, grassroots to major league front offices, 71 countries. Now keep download, listen, like subscribe, give us that little extra bump so we can keep bringing you great content like this, like Joe does on his man on second podcast. And we do with our other six shows on the network. So we appreciate your support and hit us up on uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Joe, they got me out of the cave on the social media after the new year. And it's been paying off. People are, uh, they're really engaging us there. And I'll answer one question online a day and uh, get back to everybody else uh, by the end of the day each day. So today was a little over 200 questions for this one, Brian. Wow, that's awesome. Thank you again for having me and um, for doing this. This is this is good stuff. Yeah, again, once again, thanks to uh, to Brian Schneider. He's, he's one of the best, and we really appreciate him uh, giving us a piece of his time to, today. Dave D'Agostino, once again, a great show. And, uh, you know, and to all our listeners, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for supporting all our shows and here, especially at, at Man on Second. And enjoy, you know, we got, you know, opening day is tomorrow on Thursday. Uh, enjoy it, you know, you know, celebrate, you know, the start of the baseball season. It's, we're going to have a lot of fun content all year. We'll have Brian back in due time as well. And uh, and once again, uh, enjoy opening day. Thanks again to, to Brian and Dave. And we are out of here.